welcome to Creatives on Speed, Sally Cullen. Hello. Hello. So Sally Cullen is an interior stylist, but as with these interviews, I always like people to introduce themselves. So Sally, Sally, tell us a bit more about what you do. I think there's an assumption that interior styling is something to do with interior design. And it actually, to me at least, is extremely different. I don't work in real people's houses. I don't have to think about the longevity of my designs. I just style mainly still life photo shoots for magazines, lookbooks, which I can clarify a bit about those if you don't know what a lookbook is and catalogues and some event styling as well. But I very much live in a world where what I create is almost immediately torn down within the day. So not interior design, which is meant to last a very long time in people's houses. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, tell us a little bit more about lookbooks. What, what, what sort of formats do they take? A lookbook is when a company wants to show journalists primarily and other stylists their, their range, their new seasons collection. And the reason that they do this lookbook as opposed to just putting it in a catalogue for the end user to see, i.e. the consumer, you or I, who might buy something from them, is they want someone to style their product in a really beautiful, interesting and editorial friendly way so that the journalists and stylists who see these images will be really inspired by them, uh, see something different in the product that they might not have done in the consumer catalogue. Um, and I'm finding that this is becoming a bigger and bigger part of my industry now because lots of magazines have been hubbed, which is a very polite way of being slashed. Um, the numbers of staff have fallen dramatically lots of titles have closed and um, many titles just don't have the budget to shoot their own work they don't it's a very costly thing finding a shoot location paying for that a photographer a stylist a courier to deliver all the props so they now rely on images that have already been produced by mainly high street retailers um, and they will use those images in the magazine and they will credit the work of the company involved. And it's a win-win for the, for the company because their work is being featured in the magazine and it's a win-win for the magazine because they don't have the enormous outlay. But the difference between, as I say, a lookbook and a commercial magazine or a commercial um, project, maybe even a long line product project, is you need it to be very interesting to the journalists and very interesting to the stylists. It needs to be something they haven't seen before that will really capture their imagination. Yeah, so it's like creativity and originality is really key here. Um, and we'll talk a bit about how you got into it in a moment, but I'd like to take you back to sort of creativity when you were growing up. Um, so what part did sort of creative activities and being creative take when you were, when you were a child? That's a really interesting question for me because I can't draw and I've really, really struggled with this my whole life. There are lots of stylists out there who are fantastic draftspeople and they can sketch out a shoot and I, I just can't do that. So when I grew up in the 80s, school art classes, for example, were about recording mainly, about drawing what you could see, painting what you could see accurate depictions of things and that's just not really my bag and I always knew that I was very creative and I lived in this world of 
role play where I would create houses and rooms and decor schemes, either using dolls houses or my imagination, my beloved fashion wheel. I love that thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have one of those as well. And, the and they've is- brought it out again. Yeah, they have. Um, yeah. You Because uh, you've got a little girl. Have you, uh, have you started to bring the fashion wheel into her life we we tend to avoid tv that has advertising but we actually both saw an advert for it at the weekend and I think both of our eyes wind <laughs> at the same time so yes it's on my Christmas list even if it's not on hers um but there were yeah so there were always creative outlets even though I felt frustrated by my inability to draw and um I think one of the pivotal moments in my development as as a creative was when I did my foundation course in art. So for people who don't know, before you go to university, if you've done your A-levels and you need a good portfolio to get into a creative course or university, the foundation course in art is a really good year to get a portfolio together. You try lots and lots of different media from painting to sculpture, and that depending on the place you study at you can have all sorts of photography it was just a great great year for me to really explore what made me tick creatively and that I didn't have to be able to draw really well to be considered a successful creative that's great and so from that foundation course what what drew you to the sort of styling world I I didn't really know that styling existed. This was the late 90s. Uh, stylist is a word that's used a lot now, not just for hairstylists, because I've been mistaken for a hairstylist many, many times when I use the word stylist. But thanks to things like celebrity fashion stylists or even the magazine stylist, it's a word that we're much more familiar with. But back then in the 90s, it was a really closed world. And I remember stumbling across a tiny pamphlet in my local library, and it talked about interior styling and fashion styling. Um, In fact, it may not have even mentioned interior styling. Maybe it just mentioned fashion styling. And I remember thinking, this is it. This, I knew that that was what I wanted to do because prior to that I'd I'd had a brief flirtation with the idea of being a costume designer because I did really love fashion I still do love fashion and this tiny pamphlet was the gateway between me and understanding how this amazing world of fashion works so I wanted to study fashion I got a place on a fashion promotion course because I knew I didn't want to design fashion And it was while I was there that I learned one of the really important things about being a creative or being a human, that the things you realise you don't like are just as important or maybe even more important than the things you know you do like. And it was while I was studying fashion and I did my work experience at several very prestigious magazines that I won't name, um, but that were a bit like The Devil Wears Prada, if you've seen that film, I realised that fashion wasn't for me. I didn't like the vibe. It was a world that I think is more inclusive now, but 20 years ago it wasn't. My face didn't really fit. I didn't have the right trainers or I didn't take the right drugs or I wasn't wearing the right 
clothes it it wasn't me and I so I had a real panic because I was midway through my degree at this point and that was when I started hanging out um in Tottenham Court Road that's not as dodgy as it sounds I was gonna say like not on street <laughs> corners or anything <laughs> not on street corners and um, so Habitat was there I loved Habitat yeah. I loved visual merchandising um, God rest his whole Terence Conran was amazing inspiration to me. I then discovered the Conran shop through Habitat and places like Heels, and they became this portal to another world, which I again hadn't really known existed. And this was around the time that Wallpaper magazine was launched, and it was a sort of hybrid between fashion and interiors. And suddenly, I realised that I could be super creative and that my I was feeling fulfilled by creating rooms or um, tablescapes and in fact we had a big project at that time where we all got sent off to Italy and we had to come up with with something artistic to show what we'd seen and how we'd been inspired and I decided to do an installation and I loved it. I, I remember planting crest seeds in stiletto heels and walking around with a goldfish and it was mad, but I realized that there was actually a career behind this sort of creativity. And I knew then that that's exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. So you've, um, you've worked for a number of different magazines, you've been freelance as well. So you've, so talk, talk a bit about some of your favorite projects over the years. Um, for me, I've, I really like uh, collaboration. So what tends to happen is the stylist gets the brief and the stylist works behind the scenes on the shoot before the photographer. And then the photographer normally doesn't know that much about what's going on until the day. So I really like working with photographers where a new pair of eyes will bring something completely different to the shoot. Uh, and it's a real meeting of minds when you click with someone and they see something that perhaps you don't. And I love that when there's a huge team of people and it all comes together where the, the sum is greater than the parts. And I've been really lucky to work with some incredibly brilliant photographers over the years. The other side of the coin is as much as I love that teamwork, I really enjoy the autonomy of creating something on my own. I enjoy the solitude of working on a project myself, making creative decisions myself, coming up with the concept myself, which is just incredibly greedy and selfish and needy, and I love it. And it very rarely happens because lots of my work now isn't editorial, and you tend to have more creative control with editorial, um, but mainly because editorial just doesn't pay very well. I do mostly commercial work now. Um, yeah, you mentioned my child. I have a child. I have a mortgage. I, I have to make these decisions between super creativity and earning a living. Um, and I but I mean, there's cool. still there's still some processes that go on, even when you get a very tight brief. Um, you yeah. talk talk me through the exact process and where you go and what where your you know your expertise, your knowledge, and your inspirations feed into that process. So, with most of my creative work, I am asked to style a product in a way that mainly makes it look 
as beautiful and desirable as possible. The end game is I am there to make people want to buy this item, whatever it is, a sofa, a cushion, a cup. And to do that, I normally try and create a lifestyle around that object. Most retailers will launch their own kind of trend stories each season. So spring, summer, autumn, winter, we don't see such a huge change as fashion might do in interiors, but there are new looks that will evolve each season. So when I get a brief, there's normally a collection of products and there's normally already a bit of a story behind them, whether it's a kind of rattan, sun bleached look or whether it's something wintry and cosy. And it's my job to look at the mood boards and the concepts behind the product and then make sure the product looks like that in the photography so sometimes the buyers will buy things that for a variety of reasons budget availability um, maybe even really practical things like fire retardancy will have bought into a product that perhaps doesn't quite look and feel the way they wanted it to when they were doing their initial research and their initial concepts. So it's my job to bring that original concept concept back to life and to shoot it in a place and in a way and with certain props or set build that does that job of inspiring people and making the products look as amazing as they possibly can yeah so that might involve choosing a location house or it might involve choosing a studio and designing set build and it will normally involve choosing props to work alongside the products I'm shooting so for example if I'm shooting sofas I will choose smaller props to accessorize with like cushions and throws lighting Uh, if I'm shooting smaller props like cups and cutlery then I'll need to choose a dining table and maybe a backdrop some curtains so it's about creating another world a very temporary other world and they are shot very quickly normally my projects on site don't last any more than one or two days maybe a week at the max and I actually love it when they get torn apart at the end of the day (laughs) The destruction of the, it's like, you know, Burning Man where they create this thing and then they just crash it like down. Brilliant. And so one of the, one of the fascinating things that I find when you've spoken about this before is the whole idea of this little wonder palace called a prop house that you go to. Now explain what happens when you go to prop house and explain how you make your choices when you're there. Um, So prop houses vary in size. You can have prop houses that are mainly for tableware, and that will be where lots of food stylists go. And they can normally be quite small, but absolutely packed to the rafters with everything you can imagine could be associated with food. So every kind of spoon, every kind of fork, but not just that, 10 different sorts of forks or 20 different kinds of spoons, uh, you know, wine glasses for every color shade shape it's it is a real treasure trove it's such a privilege to be able to go to these places and then you have the other end of the scale where you have furniture showrooms uh there's a lot in acton traditionally because that's where the filming industry was so you have these huge warehouses out in northwest london that have got row upon row upon row of sofa or table or bed 
Um, and it is really, really fascinating. I'm really blessed that I get to rummage around these places because not everyone gets to. And some of them are even displayed by colour, which really, wow. really floats <laughs> my boat. You're looking for a spectrum of tableware from, I don't know, red to green. It sounds like some sort of Willy Wonka type place that you sort of, oh, yeah. yeah, you just want to stay there forever. <laughs> I feel like, like that. I feel yeah. really inspired by just being there. And the selection process, budgets are normally pretty tight. So I have to be really sure that each prop I choose is going to really work hard. So by the time I've gone to the prop house, I have compiled mood boards for each shot. So I know exactly how the shop needs to look. I know exactly what product from the company is going in each shot. So now I'm looking for the tiny little things that are going to bring this shot to life, that are going to make it feel something, provoke a reaction in people. And it could be really simple, like a candle, or it could be really dramatic, like a huge rug that goes on the wall. And I normally have to be really pragmatic about budgets. So I can't get 10 things and hope they'll work. I normally have to really hone it down and know which item is going to make how much of a difference in each shot. And actually, I feel like that's something that the 20 years I've spent doing this job has taught me. It's really hard to get to know exactly what's going to work before you're there on the day with the photographer. I think when I was younger and I was doing more editorial work, I probably called in a lot to see what would work. And I don't need that process now. I know that now. Yeah. So when you're when you're um, sort of working on briefs or you're thinking about what props before you before you go to the prop house or even when you're on the set, have you got any kind of sort of resources or tricks or things that you sort of are you go to place to get inspired? I think my biggest. I'm not sure if this is a source of inspiration, but I'm incredibly tuned into color. Color is my bag. I love colour. I'm really inspired by colour combinations that I haven't seen before. Um, and normally that's really what I take my inspiration from. And obviously colours everywhere. That's the best thing about it. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm getting it from magazines or Pinterest, but I can just be wandering around and I see the back of someone's coat and the way it looks against that car that's just driven past. And that, that for me, I would say that most of my work has that element of interesting colour play running through it. Um, even my really monochrome shoots have something. And that, I think, has always been the backbone of, of what lifts me up and continually surprises me and interests me and delights me. And the good thing about colour is it's not going anywhere. Like it's yeah. not a passing phase. There'll always be something really fascinating for me to get my teeth around. And is that something that you feel like you've instinctually always had, but you've just built on your experience? Or do you, did you like train, did you uh, learn colour theory? No, I think, well, one interesting thing is I see more colour than most people. I was really fortunate enough to go on a press trip last year and I'm going to forget the name of the equipment, but there is um, a way of testing how much colour you can see. And yeah. this has put an end to all my rows with my husband about 
you know, whether that's a green blue or a blue green, because I've got incredibly accurate eyes. I can see shades that lots of people can't see. Um, the test itself is beautiful. There's a little wooden box and there are these round circles and there's a number on one side. On the other side, there's the color and they get all mixed up and you need to put them in color order, in hue order. And each color family has 25 colors in them. So you have kind of reds and pinks and yellows and greens and blues and purples. And the idea is you have to just by eye put them in color and then you switch the box over and it will show you the numbers and you'll know if you've got it right because there'll be a numerical order. Yeah. So I had never come across this before and I just felt like, ah, okay, this really makes sense. There's other people who can see all these colors that perhaps other people aren't seeing. And that made me realize that it's just something I've always had. Um, I think the interesting color might stem from that actually, because if I'm seeing more hues than most people, then yeah, maybe that's just capturing my imagination. Uh, I didn't take any, there's been, I've never had any formal training uh, to be a stylist either, really. There's even at university, there was no lesson on how to style. I think probably for most people, it's instinct uh, as to what looks good where, but then all the other stuff like learning how to work with people and the branding and the prop houses, that comes from hard work. Sally, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Obviously, we've known each other for a very long time, but we don't often get to sit down and talk about what you do. So it's been super interesting from my point of view. If people want to find you on social or on your website, where can they find you? All my social media handles are under Sally underscore stylist. And we will put those below video and also on our Faster Ideas website. Thanks very much. I hope you have a fantastic day, Sally. Thank you. Pleasure. You too, Joe.